1: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Tripped up. Remember when Yeezy made Adidas the hottest shoe company in the world? How the biggest collab since Nike met Jordan went so wrong. By Kim Basin and Tim Lowe. Millions of pairs of unsold Yeezys are sitting in purgatory, stacked in warehouses from the U.S. to China. Sneakers, some looking like cozy turtleneck sweaters for your feet, others like they've grown teeth on their soles or solidified into pillowy clouds that once would have sold out in limited-edition drops, often flipped for much more on StockX and GOAT, now await their fate seven months after one of the biggest corporate meltdowns in history. Their owner, Adidas, couldn't decide what to do with all the tarnished merchandise created by the man who was, until recently, its most prominent business partner, Kanye West, who now goes by Yee. The total value of these sneakers? About $1.3 billion. At Adidas headquarters in the medieval town of Herzogenaurach, Germany, senior executives have spent months mulling their Yeezy inventory dilemma. They've considered unstitching the Yeezy logo off each sneaker one by one, but that's too laborious. They contemplated donating the goods to victims in disaster-struck countries such as Turkey and Syria, but that could trigger illicit trafficking. Burning them in the world's largest hype-beast bonfire would be an environmental calamity, and chopping them into plastic bits to be reborn as turf is overly complicated and hardly satisfying. Management finally decided it would begin selling the sneakers while giving a portion of the proceeds to charities. The first of the stranded footwear will be available for purchase at the end of May. Over the last few years, one of Germany's largest companies became dangerously reliant on a single person to meet its towering financial goals. Then, in October, Yi capped off a series of unhinged outbursts with a torrent of anti-Semitic rants, leaving Adidas little choice but to end its multi-billion dollar arrangement with Yeezy and eliminating nearly half the company's earnings in an instant. By the time the partnership dissolved, the shoes accounted for 8% of Adidas's total revenue and 40% of its profit, according to estimates from Morgan Stanley. Even worse, the collapse exposed deep-rooted problems at Adidas that Yeezy's success had long camouflaged. Yee should never have generated such a big chunk of earnings, and he didn't, until the bottom fell out elsewhere in the company. Product cycles went out of whack as Adidas flooded the market with anything that showed promise, often resorting to its vintage standbys. Collaborations with Beyoncé and Prada fell short. Leadership grossly miscalculated its pandemic strategy, then lost footing in two of its most vital overseas markets. Now Adidas is faced with life after Yeezy. Last fall, its board of supervisors decided to cough up $17 million to push out Chief Executive Officer Kasper Rorsted more than three years before his contract was set to expire. Rather than gamble on an up-and-coming visionary type for a new CEO, the board went with a far more sensible bet, Bjorn Gulden, the successful head of crosstown rival Puma. In February, after only a few weeks acquainting himself with Adidas's books, Golden issued one of the bleakest financial forecasts in the company's history. Adidas expects to lose more than $700 million this year, its first operating law since the early 1990s. Before the company can even think about profitable growth, it needs to resort to huge discounts to unload more than $6 billion of unsold sneakers and apparel, largely the result of supply chain snarls and overestimated demand an industry-wide problem that many of its competitors have already resolved. Adidas needs a complete overhaul after the Yeezy disaster, says Jana Verning, head of ESG Capital Markets and Stewardship at German shareholder Union Investment. After these lost years, Golden has a lot of work ahead of him. One day in March, three months into the job, Golden gathered a crowd of journalists and TV crews to introduce himself. The tall, easygoing Norwegian, a master of managing expectations, was beginning the brand rehabilitation process. Adidas, he said, is more than just a collection of crises. It's the world's number two sneaker company, with more than $24 billion in annual sales, a brand with more history than Nike, and resources that would make any smaller label jealous. He vowed to speed up decision-making, so Adidas could jump onto trends while they're hot. We will again be the best sports brand, he declared at one point juggling a soccer ball with his feet before tossing it into the crowd. But even Golden had no easy answers to questions about Yeezy. He praised the partnership from the point of view of product design, distribution, and marketing. It was a fantastic combination, he said. Unfortunately, it's now lost, and it's something that we need then to replace with many, many, many pieces. Adidas and Nike might be eternal rivals, but the battle between Adidas and Puma is personal. Adolf Adi Dassler and his brother Rudolf, both members of the Nazi party, ran a shoemaking business together until they had a bitter falling out during World War II, when Rudolf fought in Poland while Adi stayed home to run their factory. Rudolf started his own company, Puma, in 1948, and Adi started Adidas a year later. The ensuing rupture split the family in two, along with the surrounding town of Herzog Herzog, as locals call it. Residents got sucked into the sibling rivalry, with thousands working for one brother or the other. For decades after the war, the Dasslers dominated sports from basketball and track to the Olympics and the World Cup, but their hostilities over market share and bragging rights were so intense that by the 1970s they failed to appreciate the rise of an upstart in Oregon. Adi Dassler never saw his company dethroned. He died in 1978 four years after his brother, of heart failure, just before Adidas made a decision that would forever haunt it. In 1984, Adidas and Nike looked into signing a college basketball star named Michael Jordan to a shoe deal before he'd even stepped onto an NBA court. Sneaker sponsorships were nothing new. Adi Dassler famously persuaded Jesse Owens to wear his spikes at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. The Dasslers had even pioneered the sports-inspired lifestyle category, Puma churning out hits like the Walt Clyde Frazier basketball shoe, and Adidas later becoming the first brand to dive into street culture when it paid hip-hop group Run-DMC to wear its tracksuits and hawk the brand in the song My Adidas in the mid-1980s. Two marketing hotshots at Nike, Rob, Rolling Thunder, Strasser, and Peter Moore, offered Jordan an unprecedented endorsement deal flush with royalties, a high salary, and a personal shoe brand called Air Jordan. Even though Jordan was a diehard Adidas fan, Adidas didn't want to pay that kind of money. The year Air Jordans made their debut, Nike made $126 million in revenue from the line, according to Jordan's agent. By the end of the 80s, Adidas had fallen to third place in the industry, trailing Nike and Reebok. The Nike-Jordan partnership scrambled the dynamics of the sneaker industry. Before Adidas passed on Jordan, about 75 percent of pro basketball players wore the stripes on the court. Nike quickly took near total control of basketball. Because of the sport's cultural significance in the U.S., the world's single biggest sports market, this shift was seismic. For decades, a common gripe from Adidas employees in the U.S. was that their leaders in Germany failed to appreciate American culture. It wasn't until the 1990s, after the Dasslers lost control of the company and Strasser and Moore defected to Adidas, that it was ready to fight back. When Moore flew to Adidas headquarters, he marveled at its archive of products, including the three-striped white boots worn by boxing legend Muhammad Ali. This guy Adi was the father of 90% of the industry, Moore recalled, according to Portland Monthly. His other thought, how had Adidas managed to F it up so bad? Strasser and Moore introduced a new line of no frills athletic sneakers and apparel, channeling the brand's performance origins. But Strasser died suddenly of heart failure at age 46. Moore briefly took over as head of Adidas's U.S. operations, while the wealthy French businessman Robert Louis Dreyfus became CEO and took the company public. Following him was German executive Herbert Heiner, who bought Reebok for about $3.8 billion in a gambit to compete with Nike in the U.S. Among the many employees more groomed at Adidas was a lanky swimmer named Eric Liedke. After working at the Adidas office in Portland, Oregon, he was shipped off to Germany, where he oversaw the development of Boost, the spongy cushioning technology that Adidas developed with German chemicals maker BASF. At last, Adidas had an answer to Nike's decades-old midsole platform Air, and it revolutionized Adidas's line of running shoes. In 2014, Liedke became the company's first-ever American head of global brands. Herbert Heiner basically came to me and said, Hey, Eric, two things. You've got to reset the brand. Do what it takes, and don't ask me for permission. Ask for advice, Liedke recalls. He set out to finally create Adidas's Jordan.
0: Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's stife dot com. Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE.
1: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Kanye West had always loved Nike, not Adidas. In late 2006, less than a year after Mark Parker was named CEO of Nike, he invited West to perform at Manhattan's Gotham Hall in front of a celebrity crowd that included director Spike Lee and New York Knicks legend Patrick Ewing. They were there to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Nike's Air Force Ones, with 1,000 pairs on display throughout the venue. West would later be photographed on a private jet with Parker, sketching shoe ideas for Nike. Over the next few years, as the rapper released several albums, he and Nike developed the Air Yeezy together, The shoe came out in 2009, followed by a second iteration three years later. They're still some of the most coveted sneakers of all time. Today a pair of Nike Air Yeezy 2 red October high tops, which look like 3D printed sneakers made of plastic mesh strawberries, can sell for $15,000 or more. The relationship soured when West demanded royalties from every pair sold. Nike told me, we can't give you royalties because you're not a professional athlete, West said after they cut ties. I told them, I go to the garden and play one-on-no-one. I'm a performance athlete. West met quietly with Adidas executives in New York during a rehearsal session for Jimmy Fallon's talk show. West soon landed a groundbreaking deal, autonomy over his own design studio, promotional fees, and a cut of sales. Heiner gave West a level of top dog access the rapper craved. The next spring, West married Kim Kardashian at a Renaissance-era fortress in Tuscany. Andrea Bocelli sang as the bride walked down the aisle. Nike executives had cautioned their Adidas counterparts in Portland that West was difficult to work with. West didn't exactly try to hide it, either. Ain't no corporation that can take me away from my voice, and I'm going to scream at the top of my mother-effing mountain as loud as I want, he told the crowd at Madison Square Garden while touring in 2013. But those warnings were overlooked, as it became clear to Adidas that they'd hitched themselves to a potentially transformative figure. Right after Adidas's first Yeezy shoe dropped, West also began wearing the German company's Ultra Boosts. Suddenly, they were selling out, The Yeezy Boost 350, which sold out in 12 minutes the day it launched, was named Shoe of the Year by Footwear News in 2015. Adidas and West signed a new 10-year agreement in 2016 and outlined plans to expand Yeezy styles, open retail stores, and enter new markets. West didn't work for Adidas. Yeezy was an independent business that would earn money off every shoe sold. The artist, having his own L.A.-based staff of designers and marketers, was free to take on other projects and hold his own fashion shows. His employees would work closely with Adidas's new homegrown Yeezy team in Portland. Adidas was already riding high on its hottest streak in decades, with Boost powering its NMD R1 running sneakers and supermodel Giselle Bundchen appearing completely nude, aside from Stan Smith's and Socks, in Vogue Paris, driving demand for the tennis shoes. Pharrell Williams, meanwhile, had pumped fresh life into the resurgent line of superstar basketball kicks. Adidas sales surged by more than a third to about $21 billion from 2013 to 2016. Some investors, however, complained that the company was spending too much in its quest for cool. If Adidas couldn't be as big as Nike, it should at least be as profitable, they argued. So when Adidas's supervisory board went looking for a new CEO to replace Heiner, it passed on Liedtke and landed on a wild card in Kasper Rorsted, a Danish number cruncher who'd done time at Oracle, Hewlett Packard, and Henkel, a German soap maker. Rorsted immediately got rid of distracting divisions at Adidas and built up its e-commerce operations to cut out middleman retailers. At first, he seemed to be on to something— Adidas's profits and share price rose, and Rorsted was named Germany's top CEO in a German business magazine. But to anyone who knew where to look, cracks were emerging, as shoppers lost interest in the same old stuff. Adidas inundated stores with Stan Smith's, then had to pull back distribution when it became apparent they'd overloaded the market. Suddenly, there weren't enough buzz-generating products coming out, except Yeezys. Ever since the Jordan brand began its ascent into a $5 billion-a-year business, sneaker collaborations have become standard for athletic wear companies. Stars power multi-million dollar product lines, like Stephen Curry at Under Armour and LeBron James at Nike, and forge personal relationships with executives. When James broke the NBA points record in Los Angeles this February, Nike's billionaire founder Phil Knight was courtside. The two embraced after the game— I'm so happy you were here, brother, James told him. Oh, I wouldn't have missed it, Knight said with a smile. West and Rorsted never had that intimacy. The CEO never claimed to be a sneaker expert and said he didn't like to interfere with the design process. Yet few goods have ever upended the industry the way Yeezys did, and Rorsted had lucked into a game-changing product. Regular shoppers were often attracted to the knit styles and comfy cushioning, while professional resellers saw their chance to make some cash off a red-hot commodity. Limited releases sold out in minutes, and the more unattainable the shoes got, the more people wanted them. That, coupled with West's ability to draw the world's attention with every social media post, was a billion-dollar formula. In 2017, Yeezy's first full year with Adidas after the contract extension, Net sales reached $300 million, and the company broke $1 billion in annual revenue after just three years, according to a cash flow document prepared by UBS Group and reviewed by Bloomberg Businessweek. But as revenue spiked, West grew more erratic. Adidas executives got their first public scare in May 2018, when he barged into celebrity gossip site TMZ's newsroom and ranted about how chattel slavery was a choice for the enslaved. Amid the following outcry, Adidas's shares plunged. But Rorsted, appearing on Bloomberg Television to discuss the company's disappointing earnings, quashed any speculation about dropping his partner. He's been a fantastic creator, he said, and that's where I'm going to leave it. Adidas's Yeezy team wasn't surprised by management's reaction. Adidas employees and advisors, along with sneaker industry insiders, described years of frustration with West's behavior and management's reluctance to do anything about it. Staff would later write an anonymous letter to senior executives describing his totalitarian impulses and inappropriate behavior, prompting outrage from some investors who demanded to know how long such antics had been tolerated. Adidas conducted an investigation acknowledging that Yi created a challenging environment and said it would put measures in place to prevent such unacceptable work conditions in the future. Yi couldn't be reached by phone for comment. Not long after the TMZ incident, West shocked Adidas again when he decided to move from Los Angeles to Cody, a small town in Wyoming, after recording an album there. He demanded that his staff and some of the Adidas Yeezy team relocate with him. Adidas began building a new design lab in a former pharmaceutical production facility there, trucking in millions of dollars' worth of machinery needed to make product samples. After months-long delays and pauses, the facility shut down entirely when West put his ranch up for sale and moved back to L.A. in 2021. While Rorsted publicly praised West, behind the scenes their relationship had deteriorated. From the beginning, West demanded to do things his way, Yeezy was given a level of independence no other label within Adidas had ever experienced. But Rorsted refused to roll out the red carpet for West, a source of friction since the rapper only wanted to deal with Adidas's top boss, not lower-level managers, according to people familiar with the matter. Rorsted liked having as much of the business as possible under his control, according to former colleagues, and West was uncontrollable. Back in Germany, Rorsted had bigger problems— for all of West's idiosyncrasies, at least his business line was driving profits. When the pandemic began in 2020, sneakerheads flocked to Adidas's website, gobbling up every Yeezy release. But outside the bubble, nothing was going smoothly. Rorstedt initially refused to pay rent on temporarily shuttered stores in Germany, causing consumers and politicians to rage against the company. Weeks later, Adidas took out $3.3 billion in aid from the German government and banks, forcing it to halt dividend payments. Then that summer, after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Rorstedt's employees in Oregon held daily protests against their employer. Adidas staff called for change, saying officials had created a toxic environment for people of color. Workers like Julia Bond sent letters to the company's top executives and put together a 32-page slide deck to pressure leadership. As one of the few black women at this brand, my ask is still the same, the designer wrote. I need this brand not only to admonish racism, but to actively be anti-racist. Rorsted fired his head of HR, filling the position himself for several months. Particularly in America, we have not made the progress with the black community, and we're taking that very serious, he said, after a listening tour. The following March, Rorstedt introduced a five-year strategy, which called for investing more than $1 billion in a digital transformation, doubling e-commerce sales, and achieving reliably fast growth in China. That intricately crafted plan began to unravel two weeks later, when Chinese consumers began boycotting Western brands that had taken a stance against cotton sourced from the Xinjiang region because of concerns about forced labor of Uyghurs, a minority ethnic group. Chinese sportswear brands started capitalizing on a Buy China movement, chipping away at foreign companies' market share. Before the pandemic, Adidas could rely on as much as 30% annual revenue growth in China. In 2022, China revenue plunged 36%. Then came the Ukraine invasion, which forced Rorsted to pull out of Russia, exacerbating Adidas's inventory pileup and cutting off an entire region where Adidas had historically clobbered Nike. Also around this time, Rorsted unloaded Reebok for about 2.5 billion dollars, a third less than Adidas had paid 15 years earlier. By August, Adidas had slashed its financial targets and announced that Rorsted would step down at some point in 2023 to allow for a restart. West gloated on Instagram with a fake New York Times front page reading Casper Rorsted dead at 60.
0: Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's stife dot com. Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE.
1: You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. who by now was divorced and had legally changed his name to Yee, picked up his phone in the middle of the night and called a Bloomberg reporter to tell the world he was done with corporate America. That included Adidas, which had netted him nearly $200 million in royalties the previous year and was the cornerstone of his billionaire ambitions. He accused it of stealing his designs, and he was willing to throw it all away to strike out on his own, no longer beholden to the whims of bosses and boardrooms. Documents prepared by Bank of America and reviewed by Businessweek estimated Yeezy's value at as much as $3 billion in 2020. On that late-night call, Yee said his business partners and the public treated him like he was crazy. Do I sound crazy? He asked. He answered questions about his future calmly, taking several seconds to think before replying, unlike his ravings at TMZ. He dismissed Adidas as a mere logistics provider, meant for menial work, not creativity. Adidas should simply be a manufacturing and distribution partner, Yee said. They shouldn't be acting like they're cool. Even so, he said, he wanted to find a way for both parties to keep making money, perhaps co-parenting Yeezys. He'd independently keep creating them, and Adidas could sell them. The suggestion for a cordial new chapter turned out to be a bit more complicated, a few days earlier, he had posted on Instagram that Adidas had offered him a billion-dollar buyout, and he'd rejected it. Adidas declined to confirm or deny this to Businessweek. Around that time, some Adidas executives did actually meet with Yee in private. As shown in a heavily edited video that Yi's team released, he told two executives they were mistreating the guy who, in his mind, made them billions. He brought with him Litka, the former Adidas brand chief who now had his own clothing brand, and Shervin Pishavar, a Silicon Valley investor who resurfaced as vice chairman of Yeezy after being accused of sexual misconduct years earlier. Pishavar denied the allegations. At one point, Litka, who appeared to be acting as a mediator, offered words that were sympathetic to Yee's claims that Adidas had copied his designs. Even one of the Adidas executives acknowledged they could improve their cooperation with Yee. But Yee didn't appear to be looking for reconciliation. He took out his phone and played pornography for one of the confused Adidas executives. Your worst nightmare is not me playing the porn, he said. Adidas's worst nightmare actually happened in October after Yee donned a white Lives Matter shirt at a Yeezy fashion show in Paris. A few days later, Adidas issued a statement that it was putting the collaboration under review. Then Yee began making those anti-Semitic screeds, at one point tweeting that he would go Death con 3 on Jewish people. Instagram and Twitter suspended him. Adidas and Yeezy employees were told to keep working as if nothing unusual was happening, according to a person familiar with the situation. New Yeezy products kept hitting the market, with RBC Capital Markets estimating that Adidas generated more than $100 million of Yeezy sales in the first few weeks of October. Yi continued behaving as if he were untouchable. I can say anti Semitic shit, and Adidas can't drop me, Yi boasted, dredging up memories of the company's historical Nazi ties. Whatever line there was for misconduct, Yi didn't appear to cross it. For Adidas, anyway, his other corporate partners Gap, the fashion house Balenciaga, Hollywood talent agency, Creative Artists Agency all announced they were ending their various business relationships with Yi. By late October, Adidas faced mounting pressure from consumers, investors, and human rights groups to terminate the Yeezy partnership. Before it did, though, Adidas put on its annual Global Week of Inclusion, a four-day inter-office event billed internally as a step toward creating a culture of true belonging. Bosses encouraged employees to attend or watch online the talks and panels set up to support equality across the organization. The head of diversity applauded the week as a triumph. Many employees disagreed, and some refused to attend at all. They viewed it as hypocritical grandstanding when their biggest business partner was spewing hate speech. Some employees were so disgusted, they spoke out publicly. Until Adidas takes a stand, an Adidas marketing executive posted on LinkedIn, I will not stand with Adidas. Rorstead, his senior executives, and the supervisory board weighed what to do waiting for the opinions of two U.S. law firms before acting, according to a person familiar with the matter. On October 25th, a month and a half after Yee had declared his intention to sever ties with bosses and boardrooms, Rorsted and top management held a two-minute call and decided to end Adidas's relationship with Yeezy, terminating the entire business line, effective immediately. The next day, a mile south of Adidas's campus, Puma reported the highest quarterly sales and profit in that company's 74-year history. Even though its CEO, Goulden, was taking something of a victory lap, Adidas was on his mind. For weeks, Goulden had been fielding calls from Adidas headhunters, shareholders, and board members asking if he'd be up for replacing Rorstead. His Puma contract would expire at the end of 2022, and he hadn't negotiated an extension. At 57, he still had another act in him. When Golden had arrived at Puma in 2013, the brand was facing an identity crisis. It had pushed too hard into fashion and, after two consecutive years of falling sneaker sales, was cutting jobs, closing stores, and scaling back products. He believed the company needed to jump more quickly on industry trends and return to its athletic roots. Within months, he signed Puma's biggest sponsorship deal with English soccer club Arsenal, and soon kicked off a splashy advertising campaign starring Jamaican sprinting legend Usain Bolt. As Puma's shoe sales started taking off, Golden reminded investors to be patient. You cannot turn a company around in 12 months, he said in early 2015, almost two years into his tenure. By 2022, Puma's revenue was soaring, nearly tripling under Golden's watch, with half of that growth coming during the pandemic. His team had introduced performance running shoes and a new basketball line in the U.S., along with signing celebrity partnership deals. Rihanna collaborated on sneakers and apparel, while Jay-Z became a creative director and flew around in Puma's private jet. Unlike Adidas, Puma was stronger than ever. On that October earnings call, Golden was asked repeatedly by reporters if he was open to taking the top Adidas job. He didn't say no. I don't have any offer from them, he said cryptically, directing any further questions to his competitor. A week later, news poured out of herzog Genaurach. Golden was leaving Puma and taking over as CEO of Adidas. Adidas's shares shot up more than 20%. When Golden issued his dismal 2023 earnings forecast in February, even veteran analysts and investors were rattled. The company's stock plunged on the news, wiping $3 billion off its market valuation. Horrible, said Volker Bosse, an analyst at Bader Bank. The expected cuts were much deeper than anybody projected. But investors already seemed to be buying Golden's narrative. The blow of a potential $1.3 billion Yeezy write-off was softened by reminders of Golden's sterling track record at Puma. Several even suggested loading up on Adidas stock while it was cheap. One of Mr. Golden's main strengths is his leadership and ability to build a fast, collaborative, winning culture, Barenberg analysts recently wrote. But the Yeezy-sized hole in Adidas' product lineup keeps getting bigger. Collaborations with NBA superstars James Harden, Damien Lillard, and Trey Young have garnered some success, but nothing anywhere near what Yeezy did. Nigo, the streetwear master who founded A Bathing Ape, and his artistic director for LVMH's Kenzo label, has signed a deal with Nike after working extensively with Adidas for decades, according to a report from Culture magazine Complex. An activewear line with Beyoncé's Ivy Park label was supposed to be a big winner, but it failed to meet expectations in its first three years. A person with knowledge of the matter says sales were missing projections by about $200 million, and the two parties have mutually agreed to end the partnership. Golden says no such decision has been made. A representative for Beyoncé didn't respond to a request for comment. Pharrell, who signed a long-term deal with Adidas in 2014, recently joined French luxury label Louis Vuitton as its men's creative director, raising questions about the future of Adidas's most successful non-Yeezy collaboration. For now, Golden is going back to the retro well, something the company has always been a little too good at. With renewed interest in its old standby, the Samba, Golden has ordered factories in Asia to increase production so Adidas can pounce while it's hot. But more than being quick on his feet, perhaps Golden's biggest asset is his acceptance that Adidas, which hasn't been the world's largest sneaker company for 40 years, should stop trying to beat Nike at its own game. We don't have a German street culture to export, so we need to do it in a different way, he said on a recent call with investors. His new plan carries echoes of Strasser and Moore. Go after every type of athlete, even with less lucrative gear like wrestling shoes or ski boots. Then lean more heavily on such cultural hotspots as L.A., Shanghai, and Tokyo to generate designs for the cool stuff. Adidas has a special DNA that should have a business model different than anybody else. But not everyone's as ready to move on. In late April, investors claimed in a suit filed in federal court in Oregon... That Adidas had for years violated securities laws by not fully disclosing the risks it knew were associated with the Yeezy partnership. The company made untrue statements of material facts or omitted to state material facts that would have caused Adidas's share price to fall, the plaintiffs allege. Adidas disputes that allegation, saying it rejects these unfounded claims and will take all necessary measures to vigorously defend ourselves against them. After months in limbo, many of the 90 or so Adidas staffers who worked on Yeezy in Portland and L.A. finally have their new assignments. Yee, meanwhile, has disappeared almost entirely from the public eye. He's stopped contacting many of his close friends, former lawyers and business associates. On May 31st, when Adidas begins selling its stockpile of Yeezys, the sneaker giant is betting that the public will focus on its stand against discrimination and hate, and not on Yee will likely emerge, at least briefly, to cash a very hefty check. While Adidas will donate some of its Yeezy proceeds to organizations, like the Anti-Defamation League and a nonprofit run by George Floyd's brother, it's still on the hook for 11% royalties for every existing pair sold. Which means, if sneakerheads buy up all the Yeezys from Adidas's warehouses, the company could still have to pay Yee somewhere in the ballpark of 150 million dollars.
0: Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just a show for you. He's become
1: even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain.
0: Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon, Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon, Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.